Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, I am Paul Church. I'm the co-founder of the Anemo Group. We are a flexible talent solution. I'm also the happy host of the Talent and Growth podcast webinar series. Glad to be back after uh, some paternity leave. This is our first uh, webinar for a while and a great topic. We're going to be talking about how to get diversity hiring right. Um, I've got three of my favourite guests from Talent and Growth before on, on here today, all of which have done individual podcasts with me. Um, so let's go to some introductions. Tony, welcome back to Talent and Growth. Do you mind just giving a quick intro into who you are and what you do? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, first off, congrats, Paul, on the new arrival. Um, well done with that. It's going to be hard work, but good luck. Um, but uh, yeah, the quick intro to me is, uh, yeah, 20 plus years in talent. Thankfully, now I've got to 20 plus years. I can stop adding a year on and it just stays at 20 plus. Uh, but uh, yeah, the first 15 was sort of agency based uh, in a few countries. Uh, and then since then, sort of primarily startup focused, head of talent, that kind of stuff. And more recently, building building software for recruitment as well. Uh, that's me. Thank you, Tony. Great, great to have you back here. Uh, Reese. same to you, mate. Give us a little intro. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been in recruitment now for about eight years, uh, did the first half of my stint in agency side. And then the last four years, I've been uh, working internally, currently the talent acquisition manager at Trader.io. And um, I mainly lead the R&D side um, of recruitment here. Fantastic. Thanks, Reese. And last but not least, Rekha, please give us a little introduction. Hi. Um... So uh, I feel like we've all got very similar backgrounds. So mix of agency and in-house. Um, I am currently running um, talent acquisition for Arma Cooney. I am a standalone recruiter um, and it is a startup role. So yeah, that's me. Exciting. Perfect. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you for that. So um, if we get to the get to get to the first question and we'll kick things off. And we're obviously talking about diversity hiring here. So um, Tony, if we start with you, what do you think are some, some of the things that businesses get wrong when trying to implement uh, diversity hiring? Well, I think actually they sometimes forget about everything else that's involved in the diversity sector. So looking at actually having processes in place for things like participative leadership, where leadership actually include everybody in sort of decision making and, and the, the general work day to day. But then also having accessible career development throughout the organization as well. And accessible really means not just one undigestible career framework that no one understands what it means, but actually something that applies to everybody and can be easily understood and easily used. And if you don't have those things, then any, any amount of diverse hiring is not going to matter because you'll just have people dropping out. Yeah, absolutely. Reese, what do you think? What, what, what stands out to you? Yeah, I think the big thing for me is trying to do too much um you know i remember when i started this journey with trey three years ago and um everyone in talent we all sort of sat down in a room and said okay like how do we approach diversity what what do we start with um honestly we had a whiteboard just full of different ideas and and so many options and we just we felt almost um you know just sort of thrown back by how much there was and we we just sort of said okay let's start small like what can we do right now to get 10 percent better we kept our definition really simple, you know, how we defined diversity at the time and to a degree almost still do at the moment, which is just non-male and people of colour. You know, we kept that really simple. And then we said, OK, great. How can we actually improve this? Um, like, where do we unblock entries to um, barriers to entry? Like, how do we keep that really simple? 
And um, I think that's the thing that we did to start with. And then once you start to build momentum, that's when you can look at other areas that you want to improve. But I think the biggest thing for me is just start really small. Think about an MVP um, and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And Rekha, anything, anything that you've seen or you've experienced in terms of how companies perhaps get it wrong sometimes on this really important matter? So uh, I, th I thought we were quite in alignment on how we all approach things, but I'm going to disagree with Reese on this one, um, where uh, I, I kind of feel like one of the one of the issues is that they, um, companies often do focus on any one target area um, as opposed to looking at the full intersectionality of everybody. And that can in itself often exclude people. So um, I think focusing on culture in itself to be inclusive, focusing on um, yeah process in itself, but I think maybe just kind of um, trying, trying to think about how it's not just trying to tick those visual diversity tick boxes, like it is around trying to actually build that inclusive culture, trying to bring like more people in as opposed to let's focus on a very small group of people. So um, it's, it's, I'm not disagreeing with Reese because you do have to start somewhere, but I, I do, but there is a degree of um, like trying to still keep it as open as possible. And I think if you focus on culture, actually that in itself um, can almost override whether or not you're focusing on any one particular area. Yeah, that's really interesting, Rick. Thanks for sharing. I think the commonality between us all is that we, you know, we're trying to do what the right thing is, but of course we're all going to take different approaches and have different perspectives to it. Reese, is there anything you want to clarify just on that, just in terms of what Rick has said there? Um, no, I, I mean, I, I completely agree um, with with what she said there. I think, you know, for us at the time, and I think where it's difficult is there's so many different groups, right? There's so many different underrepresented groups within diversity and I think for us, it was how can we actually track this to show that our efforts are going in the right direction. And um, I think me and Tony actually had a conversation on this the other day. I think, you know, because there's so many different areas, like things like doing internal surveys, majority of the time inter internal surveys, you only get roughly like a 40% uh, response rate. Um, so trying to understand the whole area of diversity within your organization, those efforts is really difficult. So we said, okay, right now, what's the area that we know we can track and we can see progress in? And that's why we picked that area. But I completely agree with, with Rekka in terms of if you do focus on culture and you keep that wide net open, then you will see improvements throughout. Um, but that's where we just thought, okay, what can we actually track right now to make sure that our efforts are seeing an improvement there? Gotcha. Thanks yeah. for clarifying. Go on, Rebecca. Uh, so on. just you know, just jump in, Paul. Um, so just uh, so I think if you like, I think we're probably going to cover this later. But I feel like as a starting point, if you if if you understand where maybe some of your problem areas are or where some of your gaps are, that can be a means at which you kind of maybe take a focus in order mm. to make sure you've got that in, um, got a full representation internally. <clears throat> uh, so so I. I yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways of doing it, but I, I, th I think um, understanding where you are is probably a yeah. really key aspect before trying to, I don't know, hit every every base. Yeah, yeah look, I reckon, let, let's stay with you on this. So I think the, ne the next thing I wanted to ask, I think this ties in, is how can organisations ensure that the intention to hire a diverse workforce is authentic. And that's what we need to make sure is that what we're doing is authentic and not just with diversity, but all manner of things. And we want to make sure it's not a box checking exercise. So what's your advice around that? 
feel like I'm going to be a broken record on this, but yes, that culture is really important. Um, so um, it's one thing to hire a inverted commas diverse candidate. Um, it's a it's a different thing to keep them. Um, so unless that that kind of approach has been taken to everything, not just the diversity, um, the the hiring process itself, um, but that the, the whole employee life cycle, the whole environment that they're going to experience when they're in the company it's really difficult um to make it feel authentic so i feel like um building that inclusive culture which often means getting senior sponsorship um ideally at an exec level um and ideally at multiple levels throughout the organization i feel like that makes a real impact um i think that um being being non-white, being female, I don't ever want to feel like a diversity hire. I don't ever want to feel like, like, am I here on merit? So I think it's really important to um, ensure when you're looking at that process, the, the hiring process itself, if, if, if it's structured, if it's um, structured and inclusive, then the people that themselves that you're bringing in feel like they're, they're also there on merit. So it's not just around the the, the culture of the company, but it's how the people feel when they're coming into that uh, as well to make sure that they're there on merit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tony, I think I know that sponsorship from a C-level sponsor or equivalent, that, that's important to you, right? Yeah, it's crucial. Um, coming from a, maybe a slightly strategic or you could say cynical perspective, um, you've got to really have that C-level sponsorship of a programme if it's going to be successful. And actually the reason for that and, and the way of getting that is talking about revenue and ROI. And we have to get this message across that actually diversity across an organization is a huge competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. It's not just the right thing to do. It's not just the way to, you know, create an amazing culture. It's actually a benefit to the bottom line of the company. And you can, read any, any amount of studies on this, but roughly speaking, you're looking at a 35% increase in revenue for a diverse workforce. So actually, if you ask my opinion, I think that companies that don't hire diversely are negligent because they are letting down their own shareholders by not hiring diversely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very tough to argue. And I think it's really, I think the point you're making in terms of and this is this is not just around diversity. I think talent acquisition really has to, if they don't already learn how to speak commercially to people in the business um, and give them metrics and language they understand. You know, I'm going to be doing a whole webinar on this, actually. But TA, you know, the founder might not care about time to hire and things like that, but they will care about, you know, the commercial viability of not having someone in the business. And it's the same principles around diverse hiring. So that is so key. And if TA is going to become a strategic business function, they've got to stop talking in TA language and start talking in commercial language. So I'm with that. Reese, you got anything to add to that at all? No, honestly, I plus one everything that they they both said there uh, <laughs> right especially tony's point on the return of investment i think we really need to like everyone's in this room because we know it's the right thing to do um and i think you've got to really communicate everything that tony said to the business it's not just the right thing to do um there are real business benefits to it and i think that then also helps takes the conversations to hiring managers when they're thinking about hiring as well um one of my biggest bugbears when it comes to diversity is for some reason there seems to be a link between oh if we're trying to hire for diversity does that mean we're lowering the bar 
Um, we no, <laughs> absolutely not. It means we're raising a bar, in fact. Um, and I think communicating that helps put that message across. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, Reese, I think this would be a good time, maybe, uh, to talk about what Trade.io actually do in terms of the expectations of the TA team around this and, and how, how intentional you guys really are. Yeah, I, th I think that's the, the main point is we're, we're really intentional um, when it comes to how we attract people. I think 100% yes, we look at things like, you know, our job descriptions, making sure that we use an inclusive language, making sure that we're posting it in the right communities and things like that. But I feel like the biggest drive for us with attracting and finding diverse talent is just going out there and finding them um, and really putting the efforts into doing that. So, you know, I think... One thing that we do is every single week, we're making sure that we're putting time aside to do diversity sourcing. Um, and the reason why I find that so important is there's a statistic out there that, for example, men are more likely to oversell themselves on things like CVs or their LinkedIn profile. So if you think about doing a search on LinkedIn, the majority of people that are going to come up on, let's say, your first 20 pages are men, for example. So if you're always doing sourcing, the majority of the people that you're bringing into your pipeline, into your outbound, are going to be men, which means the majority of the people that are responding to your message are going to be men. Majority of your pipeline are men. The majority of people that you're going to hire are men. So the reason why we're very intentional with our sourcing and putting time aside is so that we can make sure that we're bringing enough non-male people into our pipeline. So when we're doing that diversity sourcing, I mean, we're, we're only doing diversity sourcing. That is all we're looking for when we're doing our searches. And that doesn't mean we're excluding people that don't come from an underrepresented background. When we're not doing diversity, we'll then come back to those people that we didn't add into our pipelines. But by doing this can make sure that we are making sure that our outbound efforts are equal. That means that the people that bring it into the pipeline are equal. That means that there's a greater chance that the person that is right for the job, and I'll sort of echo that, that is right for the job and the best person for the job that you hire will come from an underrepresented group. So, you know, yes, we do all the other stuff, but I feel like that sort of real intention behind it um, is what's been a real driving factor for us um, with hiring people from a diverse background. And just so, just so I understand, just so the audience understands, in terms of when we're sitting down, we're doing diversity sourcing. Yeah. What changes in terms of, um, I don't know, our outreach or the platforms, anything like that? Has anything changed yeah. just so people understand? Good question. So... I mean, not a lot. So, I mean, yes, there's things that you can put into Boolean searches um, to try and find those people. But to be honest with you, what I love to do is just to keep things really broad. And it's just all about your mindset when you're doing those those sourcing. So because there is that statistic out there that people from a diverse group are less likely to oversell themselves on profiles, if you get too specific with your Booleans, you could be excluding those people without realising so that's why I like to keep things really basic. For example, I'm looking for a back-end engineer. I'll keep my Boolean as back-end engineer and then maybe one of the technology stacks like Scala, for example, which is what we source for. I'll keep it as basic as that. And it's all about them being very strict with your time and strict with your intentions. If I see an amazing Scala engineer that is not from an undirected representative background, I'll put them to side. I'm going to come back to them. But my whole intention here is to find people that do come from a diverse background because that might mean I need to get to page 100 within this hour. 
And unless I'm being strict with that, I'm not going to make it there, which means I could be missing out on someone fantastic. Um, and then also as well is don't be too strict with reading people's pages as well. Again, people might not oversell themselves. So sometimes on that first outreach, you need to take what's probably a, a bit of a gamble. Are they right? Speak to them, have conversations with people. And you'll be surprised at actually how much skill sets these people have that they're not actually putting on their profiles. Yeah, 100%. Great advice. Brecker, in terms of actual strategies for attracting diverse candidates, what, 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 what kind of springs to mind for you? Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, similar to what we said, but I think thought what was really interesting is um, that that specific focus um, in a particular pool. Uh, I think one of the one of the stats that I have taken that has really affected what we do is I forget the exact stat off the top of my head. Um, but if you look at underrepresented communities, inclusive of women, um, but particularly um, socioeconomic and um, ethnically diverse, um, they tend to apply to more job adverts than they would um, in terms of, um, they don't necessarily have the same network as people, um, your typical white man, for example. So, um, so LinkedIn is a great start, but that's not going to get you everywhere. So actually, because I was, I was like, oh, just get rid of job adverts. Let's just get rid of them with like, you know, who, who bothers anymore? But actually, when you look at the data, when you when I started looking at who was applying to the roles, actually broadening out where we were posting um, our job 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 adverts themselves um, actually increased the diversity of the people that were applying for the roles um, and similar to what Reese said around um, you can't just take what they've what the CV or the cover letter um, through as their application but just actually making time to have a chat um, and um, I mean that, that applies across the board like not everyone knows how to put a good CV together um, it's just having a chat and um, talking much more about experience rather than oh you don't have your three years oh then you're not suitable um, so just widening that perspective I think is really important uh, Tony I don't know if you've got anything different to add yeah well uh, Reese and yourself both mentioned uh, really, really talked about how basically the more experience you ask for the less diverse your funnel is going to be and so actually, if you can affect that from the beginning, i.e. can we have someone that's maybe more of a media level or a junior level instead of having that senior all the time, then you're going to get more diversity into your funnel. But beyond that, and especially if you're thinking about different sources of finding candidates, I find that you've got to be strategic with the hiring and actually break it down almost by department. So for example, if you do an engineering hiring, you know, you should probably be relatively happy that you're going to get diversity through ethnic background, if not through gender. But if you then hiring from marketing, then you've got a whole different way of approaching things. And so when we look at, let's say there's, there's a whole host now of diversity focused job boards, for instance. So some are focused on, you know, uh, there's there's black coding women, there's women in tech, there is you know, all, all, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, My G work is a great one. It's like a LinkedIn for um, uh, LGBTQ plus. Um, but you just have to understand that you're not going to hire every job in each one. So kind of break that down a little bit. Use your budget where it's really prioritized and and think about how you can increase diversity across the organization but maybe not necessarily in every single team in the same way um 
and by doing that then actually you're getting more bang for your buck really because people do have a bit of a downer on some of the diversity boards because they're not very good they are they're really good but only for the right thing yeah and um, you know it, <clears throat> no sorry Tony I was just gonna say just building on that actually just reminded me the actually just partnering with some of those groups so sometimes it is the um posting on their job board but actually sometimes just working with some of the groups themselves um building that relationship between your company um or, or just you as a recruiter uh with that network that makes a really big difference in terms of the pool um but just getting yourself out there and knowing and building those relationships I think makes a big difference as well yeah, absolutely. I'd say sometimes you have to look at it on a more longer term basis. So, you know, yeah. if, if you are going to support and work with women in STEM, for instance, don't expect it to all happen in the first couple of months. You should be doing that for 12 months minimum and then you're going to start seeing results. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think just to hit home something you've all kind of mentioned about it, this only works if the whole business is bought in to diversity yeah. hiring it doesn't work if just ta doesn't work if just the c level it has to go all the way through and what tony what you rightly said um was around high managers need to realize if, if diversity is a priority then you need to compromise in some areas and be and we have to be open to being able to broaden our talent pool because obviously by narrowing it saying no they need to have exactly this they need to have this amount of years of experience that's going to narrow it and it's going to make diversity hiring even more difficult um but of course moving on to the next thing just, Sorry, just to say on that Paul, uh like you are right that does make diversity hiring more difficult that just makes hiring more difficult yeah. like that just mm. it's just not a smart way to hire full stop so um sure if we're like diversity is a is, is a, often a key metric for uh ta teams but irrelevant of that just in order to make your job easier full stop to try and fill that role just trying to broaden out that initial spec um does make a big difference it, it does you're absolutely right and of course you know like my my what i always try and stress to hire managers is that you uh hire the person train the skills and and that that's for me the way to broaden things out i think diversity actually can be a good lever for ta to pull to actually get people to see it from that perspective because sometimes hire managers might think no i need them to have exactly this like exactly that but of course you're right it's it's it, it, it's smart either way um and of course we, we're, we've gone straight to diversity hiring on this but the key to this as well is that we need to make sure we're keeping people and with to do that we need to build an inclusive culture so if we dive into that a little bit uh record let's go to you on this what, what steps can organizations take to ensure that their culture is inclusive so there is there is there are the obvious things around building uh ergs for example um employee resource groups however you want to call them. I actually hate that term. Um, but, uh, you know, groups where people can share um, within each other does make a big difference. But I think for me, it, it's almost like a step before that, which is actually just applying inclusiveness across your everything so you're building a new policy on I don't know whatever it might be but rather than just oh, let's just do your basic version actually just thinking everything holistically around how can you apply occlusion to everything so um, when you're kicking off a new project when you're uh, building a new department when you're whatever it might be literally starting from the ground on everything and taking that approach as opposed to oh, we've been doing this for the last few months or we haven't thought about inclusion and diversity. So now what do we do? That's, that's not smart. Like get ahead and start doing that from day one. And that's where that senior sponsorship and getting everyone brought in from the beginning makes a big difference um, in, in, in kind of building that culture from the ground up as opposed to after the fact um I'm, I'm lucky i'm at a startup so it's it's easier um because we're smaller um but that does 
that, that can still be applied at your big, bigger organisations. It might just take a bit longer to get there. Thanks, Rick. And, and Reese, with so much intention behind uh, the TA team at, at Trade.io to, to get diversity hiring right, what, 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 what is your business doing around making sure that, 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 that your culture is inclusive? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I plus one on record there. I think you, you just got to think about it all the time. Um, everything that you're going to implement, you've always got to think about DNI um, because, like, like she said, if you don't, and then you get too far along, and then you're trying to backtrack, that that's difficult. So I wouldn't say I've got anything really to add there. Just, just plus one, plus one, plus one. Love it. Okay, Tony. Anything other than a plus one? Well, I, I just say that the most important thing for me answers actually a lot of questions not just this one is a really great career progression program mm. and so and it's not just around diversity but it really really is important in diversity because if you think about where you want your organizations to be in two years time unless you've got those people that you've just hired promoted and thriving they're going to go do it somewhere else anyway yeah. so if you want your organizations to be really diverse, culturally inclusive, you can't just hire them. You need to then help them thrive in the organization as well. And so that, that for me, career, career progression frameworks are number one for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd be remiss of me not to plug, Tony, that we're doing a webinar on progression paths on the 2nd of May. Uh, we'll Tony will be back. We'll have Charlotte from uh, Feast It and we'll have... That wasn't deliberate, by the way. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. I know your game. I know your game. Um, Cool. Okay, Let, let's let's move on. So, um, uh, Reese, let's go to you. What, what what role does internal equity and inclusive culture play in successful diversity hiring efforts? Uh, actually, you know what? We've always kind of talked about that. Don't worry about that. Can we talk about some success stories or case studies of companies that have effectively implemented diversity hiring practices, Reese? Yeah, Monzo's always been a company that I've followed very closely. Sort of, especially right at the beginning when I was. Um, when I started this journey and was sort of doing research on best practices and things like that, Monzo actually just released a, a really um, uh, great new inclusive benefit as well, actually. I, I can't remember the detail, but I, I always look out for them. But I think the biggest thing for me that I love most about them, and it's something that, you know, I really want to get to a point with at Trey, is just the amount of transparency um, that they have. Mm -hmm. Like They are very intentional about being transparent about where they are, where they've been and where they're going to. Um, and they release a, a bi-yearly report on this um, every single year. So I think that's the biggest thing that I love most about Monzo. Not only do, you know, they make great efforts and, you know, they've got some really great inclusive culture and benefits and they always think about it, but it's just a transparency. And I think that's the biggest thing, especially when I speak to candidates, whenever they ask me about this topic, they're not looking for the perfect answer. They know that everyone's going on this journey. What they look for is, are you intentional? Do you have a plan in place? Um, and are you being transparent about that? And that's something that Monzo do do really well um, and definitely what I aspire to eventually get to here at Trey. Yeah, fantastic. And Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think that the biggest successes have always come from uh, entry-level hiring. So, mm. for instance, like... Uh, training academies uh apprentice programs graduate programs where you, you're generally hiring a whole team so you know 10 possibly 20 people at a time sometimes more and you can really focus on diverse sources for that you can absolutely uh the, the intake is really diverse anyway and so whether it's uh so let's say customer service training academy or whether it's uh, apprentices in engineering Senior work very well both ways. Um, one of the examples is actually Multiverse do this at the moment, where they hire 
every engineering team must have two apprentices in the team and it works amazingly for them because rather than you know the, the kind of thinking where oh well, that's going to slow down delivery actually it's the opposite because they take up take away some of the sort of admin work and sort of the legwork that the rest of the team have to do they learn really amazingly quickly and they're hyper motivated versus let's say maybe a sort of a more senior engineer who you know knows what they're doing and they're kind of steady you know so those two yeah it's really about entry-level hiring where you can really increase the the volume of, of and move the needle in terms of diversity quickest now i know that that's not necessarily you know what we're talking about here but actually in terms of results when you you can hire an intake of let's say 10 and 70 percent are from diverse backgrounds yeah it, it's a real winner uh, as long as they can you know learn and develop in the organization of course do you, Tony, question for you on that. So I think you're right in terms of the entry-level um, candidates. Um, I think the but one thing that I see a lot of, um, and this, so the remote remote, remote working has um, created a more inclusive culture for a lot of people. One of the biggest challenges I fight, speak to businesses about is they find it really difficult to train entry-level people. Um, and that's, that's, that's actually puts them off having a remote culture. Do you, have you seen, let me articulate this, have you seen any um, evidence that, in somehow the remote culture has stopped businesses hiring entry-level people and thus, thus has affected that way into diverse people into your business. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know if it's it stopped the entry-level hiring. It's definitely given people that impression that it's harder to create and maintain a culture. Absolutely, whether, whether that's entry-level or, or, or whatever. Um, the, the thing with entry-level is, especially if you're hiring a team, that team tends to then create its own culture anyway. And so whether they're remote or whether they're not remote, it's quite a nice thing because you're learning with a whole group of people that are in the same boat. So as long as you can marry that in the right way with the company culture, um, you're on to a winner. Um, in terms of what you were talking about, sort of the training and stuff, companies do just need to, and hiring managers especially, need to think about hiring entry level. Is, it's not a burden. Actually, it's an advantage because you can have you, you can promote people to mentors and team leaders, which is great for their development. You All you need to do is to schedule one or two hours a week to do that specific training, and then you can let them get on with their sort of jobs. It's not a huge burden, but it does take some thinking about. So it's just, you have to think about the whole program, put it together, you know, again, with a sponsor, with everybody in tune across the organization, understanding, um, training where needed as well. Um, and yeah, it, it can work very well. But there are other organizations, especially on the startup side, where they just don't have the resource for that. And, and maybe it is isn't going to work for them. So there's a balance. But where I've seen it work really well, it, it works like a dream. Gotcha. On that, I think um, the uh, when when it's when the remote working itself is a barrier to training, it's less around the, the junior aspect of the the incoming people and it's much more usually around the actual the setup of how how things are working and people's people's natural way of doing it oh i'm used to just sitting with someone and doing this with them as opposed to figuring out how do we do this in a remote world so often it might just be around um the maturity of how they've set up the work from home aspect as opposed to oh we just can't do this um in a remote world um i do 
that being said, um, I do think there are benefits to being in person and um, learning together. But again, they need to be really intentional. Um, getting together to do the exact same thing you're going to do at home has no benefit. Um, being able to do a workshop or being able to spend time together in a very constructive way like that. That, that could potentially have benefits but like Armakuni we're a remote first uh, environment most of what we do is working with our clients and that's almost all training and we, we manage fine so um, I think it's uh, I, I think it might be much more around the familiarity of everyone being able to adjust how they do their training in a remote setup rather than anything else. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for clarifying that. And actually, I was just I was just looking at I was thinking it's weird we haven't had any questions yet. And I realized I had the wrong tab. And actually, we've had about eight or nine questions come through. So I'm just gonna go, <laughs> go to those. I am a professional, believe me. Um, and actually around training, got a question, uh, Rebecca. So I'll throw it to you actually. How do you facilitate hiring uh, manager training such that they're attuned to diversity hiring? So how do you attempt to reduce HM bias through your recruitment processes? So that's from Rose Sarah Vieira. Rebecca, do you want to give that one a go? Yeah, sure. So um I mean, I feel like, again, starting at the basics of any training that you're giving your hiring managers or any of your interviewers, not just your hiring managers, anyone involved in your interview process um, should have diversity in mind from the beginning. So it's not like, oh, let's do interviewer training. Oh, and let's do diversity training. The two things should be the same thing from the beginning. Um, so approaching everything from... Um, like, I don't know, inclusive conversations, open conversations, all the way through to um, some of the legal compliance that you need to cover. So um, the Equalities Act, what you can and can't say in an interview, what you can and can't have um, conversations about um, doing, actually having bias training um, and um, doing kind of all the aspects that you want to focus on as an organisation and focusing on those. Um, you might want to do them in small tidbits you might want to do some videos you can do this internally or you can bring in an external depending on a what you have budget for and what you have capacity for and the appetite from the rest of the organization for what you're what, what, what you're trying to get them on board um, but even if it's just working with hiring managers on a one-to-one -one when you're doing um, the kickoff like even if you're just doing it that and nothing else that's a start um, so you can always start somewhere even if you haven't got a full program and stuff to, to go through. Fantastic. Thanks, Rekka. Um, I've got another question here. Tony, um, I'll go to you on this one. It's kind of a point, but I'll dress it up as a question. So um, from Atita Aurora, uh, maybe addressed more towards closing the pay gap related, but is adding the pay scale to the job description as a female is a very positive sign that the org really values equality along with diversity by transparently showing the pay range. So my, I suppose if I frame it as a question, how important is pay transparency to what we're talking about today? really tricky one actually it on the one aspect i think we all probably agree that yeah great we would love to have pay scales on every single job profile absolutely 100 percent. and i think pay transparency within an organization is 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 pretty important so everyone feels it's inclusive right um however job descriptions and adverts having a salary can be very tricky especially with the last two years that we've had um there is no company anywhere that has managed to keep internal salaries at the rate of the market yeah there isn't one therefore when you're advertising a job at market rate you're going to be 
disenfranchising someone that already works for you. Um, so it's very difficult. It's a very, there's a balancing act between whether you do it to be completely open or, you know, wh whether you put a range or, or, or what you do. So it, it's very tricky. Um, it's not just, yeah, we should put salaries on everything, which would be great. You really have to understand and balance, you know, the people that are already working for you as well. Um, and then obviously you've got to then make people offers and they're going to sit in a team and they're going to discuss salaries with the people in the team as well. And so, so yeah, it's a tricky one in, in honesty and I don't have the answer. Yeah, it is, it is a tricky one, salary transparency. And I think um, I think it is, I think it's where we're going. I do think that that is where we're going to get to. The Obviously, we've seen what's happened in the US. The EU is, is passing laws around it as well. The big challenge is there's a lot of work for companies to do to get their house in order internally because they can't put all the salaries on the adverts. If they have, if everyone doesn't know what everyone's earning in the company, you're going to have big problems. Rekha, go on. No, I, I like... 100% agree with everything that's just been said but I would say yeah we're not we're not ready for it like most companies aren't ready for it yet um but we should be like we we shouldn't be hiring people externally um when we could be paying more people uh, more to our existing people like we shouldn't be valuing new people over and above our internal team already um the reality is because of the market and the way it shifts that 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 can happen um uh, and particular, particularly your bigger organisations, it is harder to to make those changes um, at, at, at that same pace. But I, I I do think it is where we're going, and I do think that we do need to be able to make make keep our team, our internal teams, at parity with the market. But they shouldn't have to leave to get the pay that they deserve for their job. Um, and why do we want to encourage that? Like that's a, that's a that's a driver. Um, so we. We're not there. I don't think many companies are there yet, but we should be. Um, and so if that's working with your awards team, if that is um, doing more frequent salary benchmarking, whatever it is, like we, we, we need to get ready for it because, like you said, Paul, it is going to come. What's interesting, and you, you, one of you three may have seen this already, but in the EU, um, it's coming to pass that actually, yeah. if companies are not doing this, um, then people will be able to apply for backdated pay um, from like five, up to five years pre beforehand. So it's that serious. So people are going to get in trouble. So um, yeah. I do. I, my advice is always: I know it's a big, big deal to do, but start looking to get your house in order. Reese, it is a huge topic. Anything you want to add on the salary transparency piece? Yeah, I think this is where going back to one of the points Tony said earlier. I think, and I think Rekha, you said it as well. But it's why it's important to have you know career progression frameworks, salary bandings, um, all in place, um, and then that's where internal equity comes into it. So I think as long as you're getting all those things right, then you will be a step closer to being ready. Um, but it is a big topic. It's definitely not a topic that I've gone too far into just yet. I know our people team are looking at it because of the laws that have just come in in the EU and it is around the corner for us in the UK. So we, we do need to be ready for it. Final question from the audience, which I've got now. And Reese, I'll come back to you on this, actually. Um, how, how This is from Manoj. How, would, how, how do you engage global colleagues on the equality, diversity, inclusion and belonging? And what considerations should, would be important for the organisation to take into account and enable success in EDIB? Um, I suppose just for me, just to take my point on that, does it differ when you're working uh, with international offices who may have different priorities and different, perhaps, challenges, if that makes sense? So for me, it it shouldn't. And I mean, trade, we're distributed across the US, UK, Canada, um, 
and we've also got a couple of people sort of dotted across the EU as well. For me, it's the company. It's one company goal and one company purpose. You know, it's the same as a company will have top level North Star goals, right? Diversity should be included within that. So for me, it shouldn't change. It shouldn't differ. Yes, there might be different minority groups per different countries and different locations and things like that. But for me, it's just one goal and one purpose. And you should all be striving towards that one company goal. Um, so for me, it, it, it doesn't differ. Perfect. Okay. Audience, if there are any more questions, I've got the right screen up now. So you can put your question in and I will get to you. Um, Tony, what, what what's the what's the go-to's and absolute tick list things we need to have in terms of training and education we're going to provide our hiring managers and recruiters to make sure they're equipped to get this right? Yeah, so slightly different for each group that you mentioned on the, you know, the TA side is very much around adaptive hiring, how we can make it fair and open to all groups. Um, yeah, especially if you think about sort of neurodiverse hiring and ways to change the interview process to make it clear and fair for everybody. Um, we should definitely have training on the legal guidelines as well, um, which in simple are that you can't positively discriminate. That's illegal. However, if you get to a point where you've got two similar candidates that can that are final and can both do the job, then actually a protected characteristic then becomes an advantage. And so that could be used as a, as a tool to sort of help move things along there, which is great. Um, and then you've got things like inclusive job descriptions, uh, which well, these days you can run it through a, you know, an online tool for free and get that done. So there's no excuse for not getting that right. But everyone should do that. Hiring managers, I think. They need to understand well, that there is, if we do neurodiverse hiring for the recruitment process for TA, we should also do how to work with neurodiverse uh, people in the business as well. And hiring managers, I think sometimes there's a, there's a bit of um, a worry about how they can hire neurodiverse candidates, how they would function in the team, how they can keep them happy and comfortable and be inclusive as well. But actually, with the right training, they can understand that, uh, for instance, neurodiverse candidates can be an absolute advantage to their team. Uh, they can work in different ways. They can work on different work and it, it could be a real benefit to the organization. So that's important. And then lastly, I guess, if we think about right back at the beginning, the sort of C-level sponsorship, I think, yeah, the, the leadership really need to understand and be trained on the competitive advantages of diversity um, because that's their job, right? Their job is to guide the business from a you know, revenue perspective. And if they know that this is going to help, then they're going to sponsor more. So, yeah, they're mine. I think also not, to be, not, not to be scared about putting your execs through interviewer training, the same thing your hiring managers go through, they hire people as well. It, and whether they're hiring directly or they're managing other people that are hiring directly, put your execs through the same same training. Um, they're often more candid with their feedback, um, but that's often really helpful um, in terms of like being able to improve it moving forward. Cool. Um, just putting on another resource oh. that I think would be really useful um, that every, a lot of people can sign up to. Um, so if you're in the tech industry, um, signing up to the Tech Talent Charter um, is uh, not only an outward um, 
no declaration of what your company believe in, but it's a really, really great um, source of resources. Um, they do regular meetings. There's a playbook. There's data. There's literally everything that you need to help to do things internally for your business. So uh, if you can sign up, um, it's yeah, great resource. Yeah, I echo that. Absolutely. Really, really good and useful resource. Reese, anything to add on that? No, I'd say they covered every point there. Sorry, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese, let's go to you for the next question, right? It's your turn. Um, how do you measure the success of diversity hiring efforts? So what metrics should we be used, using to track progress? So I guess, obviously, we were talking about commercial and TA metrics mm -hmm. earlier on. I suppose we're looking at the, the TA side of it now. Yes, if we're talking about just hiring, I say you need to track every single part of you know, the recruitment life cycle um, from hires to acceptance rate for the clients, pass through rates at each stage, uh, your outbound, your applications and your candidate experience. Um, I think the reason why I think you've got to track every single part is because you need to understand where there might be a barrier to entry. Um, you know, you could do all the effort that you want to try and bring these people into the pipeline. But if in somewhere of the interview process, there's a barrier that is not allowing, you know, these certain people to go through, um, then that's where you need to understand. And that's where you need to dive in more and, and figure out how to unblock that. So I think, yes, the North, Scott, the North Star goal might be hires, but where are part of the process of people not getting through? And where do you need to um, look into more and actually fix that? So yeah, like we track every single part um, of the recruitment funnel um, and ensure that we don't have any barriers to entry there. So um, I think from a high level, we're talking about just hiring. You, you've got to track every single every single part of that. Yeah, love it. Agree to that. Rekha, what do you think? Uh, same, exactly the same. Um, and then your next step, um, looking at your uh, retention and attrition um, metrics. So it's one thing to hire people, but being able to keep them is a very different matter. Um, so this will hopefully tell you more around less around your recruiting process, but much more around the experience when they they're there and whether whether it is it does feel inclusive. Um, tagged onto that, really the um, getting the net promoter scores or getting the um, feedback um, that in the candidate candidate surveys in the employee surveys um, will also be really helpful. Um, but I also think like just being open to knowing, um, to, to asking for feedback and knowing that you're not always going to be getting it right 100% of the time and being happy to kind of just go, oh, yeah, okay, sorry. Like, how do we improve this? And being open to that feedback, I think is really important. So metrics is really important, but qualitative feedback is also really key. Yeah, agreed. Tony, anything to add on the metrics we need to be looking at to measure that success? Yeah, well, I'd actually just take it out of TA a little bit and go a little, a little bit higher and more strategic because, you know, bagging the dramas I have a couple of times now on the competitive advantages of, uh, of diversity and why it's important for a business. If you're going to track that, you need to track those kind of metrics. So I, I would say tracking alongside a diversity program, we should definitely be tracking the job satisfaction and retention, the employee morale. We should be looking at, um, you know, average revenue per employee and, and even overall business performance as well from, from that point and, and hopefully watch that go up as the efforts on diversity go up as well. 
Yeah, perfect. Thank you for that. Um, Tony, I'm going to throw something at you. So um, maybe I should have started the, the webinar of this, but there was, I don't know if any of you saw this, but when I put a post out the other day around how to get diversity hiring right and invite people to this event, somebody posted on uh, as a comment, um, answer is just to hire the best person for the job. So you saw that. Reese, what did, okay, Reese, I'll go to you. What did you, what, what, why is that wrong? <laughs> or is it, okay, let me not load it. Is that wrong? Why is it wrong? <laughs> so, I mean, yes, you, you want to and you should always hire the right person for the job. But it's not it's not that simple, right? If it was that simple, we wouldn't be having this conversation um, right now. So I think, yes, you want to and you should always hire the right person for the job. But unless you are doing the right things as a business to attract people from underrepresented groups that will be right for the job, then it's never going to happen. Um, right. So, you know, I almost laughed at the comment because I mean, I've heard that comment a thousand times and, you know, it's, it's always, I always find it, it like, what's the right way to respond to that? Because I guess, yes, black and white, plain and simple. Yes, that is right. Um, but it, it's, it's not that simple. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily choosing one or the other. Like just yeah. because you're doing diversity hiring doesn't mean you're hiring a less abled person, yeah. someone that can't do the job or, or, or um, discounting other people that are more qualified. I don't mm. think that's what we're saying here. What we're trying to talk around is how are we widening that funnel and in being more inclusive and more intentional in who we're reaching out to and making them feel like, one, not only can they apply for this job, but they they would enjoy and actually really uh, thrive in the environment that we've created. So this isn't around, let's pick from a really small pool of people. This is around how do we make this pool as big as possible in order uh, and, and feel comfortable for everyone in order to then actually get the best person for the job, as opposed to let's pick from a really small group of people and choose that best person. So this isn't around discounting anybody. Yeah, um, I've often heard feedback around, well, I'm a white middle-aged man. So do, do I now, am, am I now at a disadvantage? No. Like if you're still the best person for the job, no, you're, you're absolutely not. This is not about trying to not hire people. This is about trying to hire more, more people. <laughs> that, that's all it is. I don't, so I don't think it's an either or in this. Is it, um, and I, I actually write, wrote a response to this, but I deleted it because I thought, you know what, I'm not going to get into a, a LinkedIn battle because it just no one ever looks good when that happens. But um, for me, I was, I think, because I've heard it loads as well, and I've heard lots of people say that before. For me, is it, it, tell me if I'm right to be like this. Is it a little bit of, you know, little, little, small picture, big picture? Because actually, yes, you might get somebody who's maybe a white middle aged male who might have highest the, the, the more right skills but if you're looking long term about what you want your business to be and and then the people you want to attract to hire later on is it i suppose short-term long-term thinking you need to take into account as well is that fair does that make sense yeah i, I think um I, I think reckon nailed it really but answering your point specifically it's the difference between hiring the right person for the job and hiring the best cv and and actually the best cv is apart from, you know, a lot of people think this, but actually hiring the best CV is never the mm. best person for the job ever. I've never come across that ever. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the point being, and I think we touched on it earlier, actually, 
you're if you want real longevity you want learning you want uh, improvement you want someone with the potential to be successful in the job not someone that's done that job before the example I always use is, you know, I see a lot of job descriptions out there that go, yeah, we, we're looking for a marketing manager. They must have been a marketing manager for at least six years. To me, that says we're looking for someone that's done this same job for six years and we want them to come and do the exact same job again. Yeah, we're no, kind of, you know, lowering the risk. Yeah. What they're actually doing is, is saying, yeah, we're getting someone that's plateaued. Yeah, they're not going to there's no more growth for them. They're just going to come and do the same thing. We're comfortable with that because you know, we're not worried about someone learning. Whereas actually you get a marketing manager who's got two, three years in similar tool set. That person's got so much learning to go. You're going to get much more longevity. You're going to get their period of growth. I mean, there's a thing called S-curve growth, which, you know, I'm sure a few of us have read about, right? And you were looking for someone that's going up that exponential curve of growth. You don't want someone at the end that's plateauing. So, so yeah, um, I think when you, look for too much experience you're getting someone that's plateaued and there, there's no there's no longevity in it yeah gotcha thanks tony okay well look i'm kind of conscious of time i suppose just to kind of put a bow on this conversation um just final question to all the speakers is just kind of what advice would you have for organizations who are really actually starting to starting to look at this and trying to make things better what's the what's the top line starting points reese what, what would you go with Yes, my top three would be to start with unblocking barriers to entry. Um, you know, you can do all of the efforts that you want, but if there's barriers there, then people are never going to get through the door. Um, secondly, is make sure you're being intentional with what you're actually doing. Don't just say it, but actually then go out there and do it. And then thirdly, is just start small. You know, what can you affect right now? How can you get 10% better? And just start with that and then build the momentum and then keep going from there. Yeah, love it. Rekha? Um... I haven't got three things. I'm going to pick. No, one. sure. You don't need three. One's fine. One high level yeah. thing, um, yeah. which is um, just to like assess where you are now. Like what 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 are you doing? What you're doing well? What are you not doing well? And find out where the gaps are between where you are now and where you want to be. And it's probably part of a much longer, bigger program of things that you need to work on. But once you at least know where you are, you can you can start focusing on very specific areas. Um, and sometimes it might be, as Reese said, focusing on very specific pool, um, but always start small. Um, getting that engagement from the beginning, um, from your C-suite really helps um, to help drive some of that ch those changes. Um, ideally, getting them to be part of your process um, and being, being part of that working group towards where you're trying to get to makes a real big difference. Yeah, thank you very much. Tony, go on. Yeah, well, I'm going to, Rekha didn't use all hers, so I'm going to borrow one and have four. <laughs> um, no, I think um, train, start with training all your internal staff at each level, you know, in different ways so that they all understand, you know, why it's a positive, you know, a real competitive advantage. Secondly, I'd look at the sourcing side of things, which is your job boards and your partner organizations, that kind of stuff. The third one is more long-term nurturing, sponsoring events, joining communities, really, really being a, a benefit to those communities not just looking for you know candidates what you know once in a while and then the last one i'd say maximize that entry-level hiring that, that each company does because again it's the biggest driver of moving the needle for diversity um, so just much. to build on what i didn't say so thank you tony well, <laughs> just the final one really just around um i can't stress enough how important it is to build that inclusive culture 
Um, and if you get that right, everything else will actually naturally fall into place. So um, focusing that as your basis, as opposed to your afterthought, I think that makes a real big difference. Love it. What a great place to end. Rebecca, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to our speakers today. Everyone who's tuned in today, thank you for listening. If you've been on the webinar, if you're catching up on the podcast, um, do follow the Anemo group. We've got all our events on there. We're going to be here every week now until I run out of things to say. So do sign up. Uh, but everyone, hope you have a good four-day week. And speakers, thanks again for sharing some of your time and your expertise. Oh, no, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Cheers.